come behold the works of God, the nations at his feet. He breaks the bow and bends the spear and tells the wars to cease. O mighty one of Israel, you are on our side. We walk by faith in God who burns the chariots with fire. Lord of hosts, you're with us, with us in the fire, with us as a shelter, with us in the storm. You will lead us through the fiercest battle. Nowhere else would we go but with the Lord of hosts. earth that bows and all the mountains move into the sea. Oh Lord, you know the hearts of men and still you let them live. Oh God, who makes the mountains melt, come wrestle us and win. Oh God, who makes the mountains melt, come wrestle us and win. With us in the fire, with us as a shelter, with us in the storm, you will lead us through the fiercest battle. Nowhere else would we go but with the Lord of hosts. Yeah. 
answered with the sinless storm. You will lead us through the fiercest battle. Oh, where else would we go with the Lord of Gives way, the mountains move into the sea, the nations rage. I know my God is in control. Sing that again, oceans. The oceans roar, you are the Lord of all, the one who calms the wind and waves and makes my heart be still. Though the earth gives way, the mountains move into the sea, the nations rage. I know my God is in control. Well, Pastor Steve is going to pray for us this morning, so you may be seated. Oh, good morning. In light of Psalm 46 that we just sang, I want us to pray for Afghanistan this morning. Heavenly Father, we lament over what we see happening in Afghanistan. We lament the prospect of hangings, executions, torture, imprisonments. We lament women losing basic, basic freedoms. We lament the prospect of girls and young women becoming sex slaves used and thrown away. We lament Americans and others seeking to leave Afghanistan for the basic safety that we take for granted day after day. We lament people fleeing for their lives to the mountains. We lament Christians in Afghanistan who will likely face brutal persecution. And Father, we confess that you created this world good. You created humanity in your very image But we're the ones who've messed it all up. It's our rebellion that's to blame. God, you are blameless in every way. You are righteous in all your judgments, in all your pronouncements. And Lord, we believe that one day Jesus will return as king and judge. Every wrong will be righted. All things will be made new. And until that day, God, we pray. Today we pray for Afghanistan and its people. We pray that you would restrain the forces of evil we pray that you would protect, protect the weak and the vulnerable in normal, obvious ways, but also miraculously. We pray that you would provide a way of escape for many, many of those who would be targeted by the Taliban. We pray that you would make yourself known to the Afghan people in their fear and pain and loss. We pray that you would reveal yourself through your people, through dreams and visions, Let them know that you are God and that you have sent your unique son, Jesus, as the savior of the world. 
God, we pray for the church, the body of Christ in Afghanistan, the apple of your eye, your daughters, your sons, your beloved. God, we pray for their faith. We pray that you would strengthen the believers there in the midst of persecution. We pray that they would not recant, not renounce their faith, even when, it, when threatened by imprisonment or torture or death. God, may they prove to be people of whom this world is not worthy. God, we pray for courage to persevere like believers down through the centuries. We pray they would love you more than their own life. We pray that they would not shrink back from anything that they must endure in this life. God, we pray for the joy of the church in Afghanistan. We think of the apostles in the book of Acts who rejoiced that they were considered worthy to suffer beatings and threats and shame for the name, the name of Jesus. And so, God, we pray that the believers in Afghanistan would also treasure you above their own lives. God, we pray for their witness through words, through their actions, through their blood. Lord, we pray that many, many people will be brought to face to face with Jesus himself through their witness. And God, we pray as we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ there who are being persecuted, we pray for ourselves. Oh Lord, we confess that our affluence and our freedom and our comforts have made us soft and weak and lethargic and selfish. God, sometimes it seems like we can barely take an insult what would happen if we were living in a place where we were threatened with death. And God, our only hope is in you. You're a good father. You know how to discipline your children. You're committed to refining us. You're committed to purifying the body of Christ here as you are there. And so we pray that we might be people of faith and courage and joy in our lives here, in our community, in our country. God, we pray that our witness would be undeniable and strong. During these days, may we seek you like never before. And so God, we lift all these things up to you. We have no answers. We have no solutions. That's why we're praying. You are Lord and you are powerful. This morning, as we turn our, our attention to your word, open our eyes. Give us a vision for what our lives can and should be. In Jesus' name, amen. I remember a time several years ago, I was home with my family, my mom and my brothers, there were about 12 of us sitting around a table, and uh, we were talking, that's what we do, we talk, that's the main thing we do in my family, and uh, somebody asked a question, I don't remember what it was about, it was about a person or an event or an opinion, I don't remember what it was about, but before I know it, I heard these words coming out of my mouth, somebody asked a question, and I said, why don't we ask Jeff? He knows everything. I'm like, did I say that out loud? And then there were these eyes, I could almost feel it, eyes darting back and forth between him and me. There's this awkward silence. And then somebody changed the topic. That's how we deal with a conflict in my family. <laughs> and so that happened. 
and I think about it, I'm like, why, why did that happen? I mean, how, how did those hurtful, unkind words come out of my mouth seemingly out of the blue? Well, Jesus is going to solve that problem for us today in Matthew 12. Beginning today, we're going to take three weeks to talk about the truth about words. We're going to look at three key passages that tell us the truth about everything we say with our mouths, and our words would be the things that we think in our minds. Our words would include things that we send out through email and blogs and on social, right? And so what we're going to talk about these three weeks will be universally relevant to every single one of us here today. Today we're going to look at Matthew 12, verses 22 through 37. And that's a passage that discusses the source of our words. Jesus tells us where our words come from. And so if you are able, I invite you to stand as I read this passage. I'll read Matthew 12, beginning in verse 22. Matthew writes, Then a demon-possessed, a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons." Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by who do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges." But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, But the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. The evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. This is God's word. You can be seated. Well, as we just read, a demon-oppressed man was brought to Jesus. He could neither see nor speak. And of course, not all ailments are, are because of demons, but that was the case in this situation. And so Jesus cast the demon out of this man, and he could now see and speak. 
The crowds were amazed, but the Pharisees were threatened. And so they said, they said this, these are words they spoke. Jesus casts out demons by the, the, the prince of demons, Beelzebul, by Satan. And Jesus says, no, actually, I cast out demons by the spirit of God. And understand the Pharisees' words were not some minor theological error. The truth of the matter is, is that the God of the universe finally in the fullness of time took on flesh and blood and he bared his mighty arm and he freed this man from demonic oppression. He won the battle for this man's heart. And the Pharisees said, actually, Satan won the battle. Satan is the one who bared his mighty arm. And so they attributed to Satan what was actually done by the spirit of God. So in verses 31 and 32, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people. And blasphemy simply means slander or or defamation. Every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or the age to come. And so Jesus says, generally speaking, blasphemy, like all sins, is forgivable. If you blaspheme against the Son of of Man, you say slanderous things, you can be forgiven. The implication, if you repent. That was the case for the Apostle Paul. In 1 Timothy 1, he said, formerly, before I came to Christ, I was a persecutor, a violent aggressor, and a blasphemer. So he was absolutely forgiven of his blasphemy when he put his faith in in Christ. Sin was wiped out. Any sin that you repent of will be forgiven. But, Jesus says, blasphemy or slander against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Now, how can that be the case? Whatever the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is, it's something that, that the Pharisees had just done, right? And so... Most people, and I fully agree, that the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is attributing to Satan something that had actually been done by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus pointed out that saying that is just irrational. No house divided against itself will stand. Satan would not cast out his own minions, right? And so by rejecting with their words, again, these are words they spoke, by rejecting the irrefutable, obvious evidence that Jesus had acted in the power of the Holy Spirit, they were consciously, willfully rejecting the kingdom of God. Jesus said, actually, I do this by the Spirit, and the kingdom of God has come upon you. And they say, no, actually, it's the kingdom of Satan that has come upon us. And so their opposition to God was so steadfast that they would never repent Therefore, their blasphemy was unforgivable. Now, this exact situation, it's not repeatable in our day, but but blasphemy against the Spirit in our day would be persistent, unrelenting rejection of Jesus. If you fully and finally reject Jesus, there are no other options for forgiveness. He is the sacrifice for sin. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, No one comes to the Father except through him. And sometimes, you may have wondered this yourself, sometimes genuine believers with sensitive consciences 
have committed some sin, some grievous sin, and the thought comes to their mind, I wonder if I have blasphemed the Holy Spirit. I wonder if I have committed the unpardonable sin. And as many people point out, if you're troubled by some sin and you wonder that, it's very unlikely that you've committed this sin. This, this is unrepentant, steadfast, heels dug in rejection of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. But let's not miss what Jesus has done here. He's established that the Pharisees who stood before him had uttered the worst possible words that anybody could utter. They uttered words that were unforgivable. So beginning in verse 33, Jesus explains why that can be the case. Why could words uh, be unforgivable? Well, he explains the source of their words and the source of our words. In verse 33, he says this. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. Jesus is just making the simple point that the fruit you see on a tree, like an actual literal tree, the fruit you see on a tree is an accurate indicator of the health of that tree. And so if you see bad fruit, bad tree. You see good fruit, it's good tree. And the fruit Jesus had in mind uh, involved the words that the Pharisees were speaking. That was the bad fruit that that he experienced Why? Because they were bad trees. They had bad hearts. He makes that explicit in verse 34. He says, you brood of vipers. In the Bible, it's never a good thing when you're called a snake or a viper or an asp, okay? And so he says, you brood of vipers. He says, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so the reason they said evil things is because they were evil people. And so the mouth speaks from whatever, uh, mouth speaks out of the abundance or the overflow or the reservoir of the heart. Whatever's in our heart, that's what we have to draw from when we speak words. And so this is a brutal diagnosis, right? The reason we speak the words we do is because of what is in our hearts. And so it's a brutal diagnosis, but it's true. Our words reveal what's in our hearts. Verse 35, Jesus says it cuts both ways. That's good, right? It's not just the bad. He says the good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. So whether good or evil, our mouths speak from the abundance of our hearts. Again, our words are an accurate reflection of what's actually true in our inner being. And so not surprisingly, and you may have never heard this before, uh, this is the truth about our words that Jesus says in verses 36 and 37. He says, our words are such an accurate indicator of our hearts that our words can be used to evaluate our eternal destiny, okay? He says, I tell, you, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word that they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. We just finished a series on 1 John, and what we saw over and over in 1 John is that our actions, specifically our love 
for others is an accurate indicator of whether or not we know God. Since God is love, those that know God also love. Not perfectly, of course, but if you don't have love, you don't know God. In the same way, Jesus says here that our words are an accurate indicator of whether or not we know God. And so our deeds, our works, and our words, they don't save us. Of course, they don't save us. We are saved exclusively by the death and resurrection of Jesus. He died for our sins. He rose again to give us life. But it is the case that our deeds and our words are an objective indicator of what's in our hearts. And so here's the truth about the source of our words. Our words flow from our hearts. Our words flow from our hearts. Uh, Our words do not lie about the content of our hearts. Of course, occasionally we misspeak. We we don't articulate and really say exactly what we want. Uh, That's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying, in essence, if you look at somebody's words over weeks and months and years, and it tells the story, it tells the story of what is true in that person's heart. You can take it to the bank. That's a, that can be the source of our judgment. Remember the story I told you at the beginning of the message? Why don't we ask Jeff? He knows everything. Well, the mystery solved. That didn't just come out of the blue. That came out of my heart. I don't even remember what the circumstances were, but apparently over the the days leading up to that, uh, I had treasured up in my heart bitterness, you know, kind of resentment toward him. It was the the reservoir that I could draw from. And so when my mouth had the chance and somebody said, ask the question, that's what came out. Why don't we ask Jeff? He's a know-it-all. He knows everything. And so our words speak from whatever fill our mouths. And so this simple truth has enormous implications. And the rest of our time, I wanna suggest three simple ways that we can respond to this truth that our words flow from our mouths. Number one, pray. Pray for God to show you the truth about your words. God, will you reveal to me what is true about my words? Therefore, what is actually true about my heart? In Psalm 139, David, he rehearses how God knows us exhaustively. He knows our thoughts before we think them. He knows our words before we speak them. There's nowhere you can go where where God doesn't notice where he's not there. And so God knows us exhaustively. At the very end of Psalm 139, David prays this. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. And so he's already rehearsed, God, you know everything about me. So this is a prayer, God, will you show me what you already know about me? I want to know that. Show me what's true of my heart. And so who prays that? Who prays Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24? Well, a teachable person, right? Only a person who will acknowledge it's very likely I have blind spots, which by definition I cannot see, right? That's why I'm blind to them. And somebody whose passion, whose desire is to love the Lord their God with all their heart and all their soul and all their might. And so I just want to pause and have you consider internally in your heart, are you teachable when it comes to your words? 
Is this something you actually want God to show you? Is this a prayer that you want to pray? Again, not just once, but but over time. Is this something you want to cry out to God to do? And you may actually not be teachable. There's no reason to fake it here, okay? There's too much at stake for that. If you're not teachable, it's best to admit it to God. Just say, God, you know, thanks for the offer, but I'm good. I'm happy with the words I speak. I'm happy with what I say and how I say it. I'm happy with the contents of my heart. Thanks, but no thanks. And if that's the case, if you're not teachable, I would encourage you, if you're wise, ask God, would you make me teachable? And if you are teachable and you say, yeah, I actually, I I just am sick and tired of the way I'm just always dropping bombs in every, every situation I'm in by the words I say. God, show me what's in my heart so that I'll understand why I speak the way I do. So pray that to God. And then strap on your seatbelt because it could be a rough ride, okay? God loves to answer prayers like that, okay? So ask, pray, uh, number one, pray. And second, listen. Listen to the words you speak. Listen to the words you think in your mind. We're often very aware, aware of the words that other people speak. I mean, we just, I mean, we're just geniuses on other people's words, right? You leave a conversation and you feel like, I just, I just feel like I just lost six months of my lifespan. That conversation just sucked the life out of me. It was <laughs> like, man, I just, ugh. But do we recognize the effect that our words have on other people? When you walk away from a conversation, ask yourself, okay, what did I hear myself saying there? Or when you're alone and you're, medi- you're, you're mulling something over in your mind, Evaluate, what do I think about? What are the words that I rehearse over and over in my mind? If you listen, you'll, you'll find some very instructive, instructive things. If you prayed and you listen, God will show you. And he'll likely show you both the good and the bad about your heart. For example, on the good side or, or the bad side, you might notice self-centeredness. You listen and you realize I just dominate every conversation I'm in. I just talk and talk and talk. I never ask a question because I don't really care what other people think. I just talk and talk. You might might realize, man, I'm actually a self-centered person. Or on the good side, you might realize, actually, I've got a lot of compassion in my heart. A couple weeks ago, I was standing out in the foyer. It was during the week. And I was talking to one of our middle school students. And I didn't, I really don't, know her. I recognized her. But we were standing out there talking and uh, I expressed kind of a, a painful situation that I was going through. We have a mutual friend and um, I mentioned this painful situation and she got the most compassionate look on her face. and She said, I am so sorry. And that just flowed from such a deep place in her heart. That doesn't happen by accident, okay? And so her words, her compassionate words revealed compassion in her heart. On the negative side, you might realize if you listen that you have contempt for certain people or certain groups of people. In our our culture, in our world, contempt is celebrated. It's, It's an art form just loathing other people. Jesus told this parable in Matthew 18. He said, a Pharisee and a tax gatherer both came to the temple to pray. And the Pharisee stood up very tall and proud and he gave thanks to God. Do you remember what he thanked God for? 
He said, I thank you, God, that I'm not like these other sinners, especially that tax collector over there, okay? That's the main thing he was thankful for. Luke's comment is that Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Contempt. Contempt is poison in the human heart. Listen to the way you talk about people with whom you disagree politically. Listen to how you talk about your coworkers, how you talk about your roommates, your family, people that you're around all the time. If we listen to ourselves, we will learn much about our hearts. If you want extra credit, ask a trusted friend, hey, what do you hear when I talk? Uh, What do I talk about? And how do you experience my words? That would be educational. Ask a trusted friend, somebody you really trust. So pray, listen, and then the third thing is treasure. Treasure up God's word in your heart. Since our mouths speak from the abundance of our hearts, we need to make sure that our hearts are full of the right thing. And God's word is uniquely profitable when it comes to teaching, reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. God's word will, will, will allow us to think things that we never would ever think before, things that we wouldn't even want to think. It will give us options, a reservoir from which we can draw when we're speaking to others. In Psalm 119, the writer understood this very well. In verse 11, he prayed, God, your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. He understood that if God's word were treasured up in his heart, it would help him avoid sinning. And so again, this could be reason number 59, why we should spend time in the word. Not just because you're supposed to, but because it will give you this wealth, this wealth, this reservoir from which you can bring life to other people. You can bring healing and life by the words that you say. Even if you're expressing something hard, difficult, You can do it in a life-giving way. And the word refines us. It it, it does things, things to our hearts that we just could never muscle on our own. You probably know this, but uh, the Bible is about God, okay? The Bible is about God. It talks about other things, talks about humanity, but it talks about us in relation to God. And so, for example, the Bible teaches us what, Uh, how God treats us in Christ. The Bible talks about how we are loved, we're wanted, how he is like a good father who gives good gifts, who disciplines us, a good father who refines us so that we might share his holiness. And so if if we learn that from the word with the New Testament ethic is that we're supposed to treat one another the way God in Christ has treated us. And so if, if we saturate our minds and our hearts with God's word, then we'll understand how God has treated us. Therefore, we'll understand how we should treat one another. But if we don't saturate our minds with God's word, we'll forget, we'll be oblivious to how God has treated us and we'll treat each other poorly. We'll speak to each other poorly instead of the way God has spoken to us. And some people approach the Bible kind of the way you do your owner's manual in your car. You have a problem, you 
you break it out, go to page 39, cherry pick your information and head on out. That's not the way the Bible is supposed to be used. The vision in the Bible is that we are to delight. Oh, this is our delight in the law of the Lord so much that we meditate on it all throughout the day, day and night. And when we do, we experience the new covenant promise in Jeremiah 31, where God says, I will write my law within them and on their, and I will write it, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. And so instead of the word being something out there, it's something in here, internal, that we know, something that knows us, that has a a hold on our hearts. And we begin to think the way God thinks and feel the way God feels. And with that reservoir of truth and wisdom in our hearts, we can now speak in ways that actually please God. And there's no shortcuts here. Don't think in terms of days and weeks. Think in terms of months and years. And over time, it's amazing what God can do, what God will do as we treasure up his word in our hearts. And so my challenge to you this week is that, is that you would begin this diagnosis. Pray, ask God to show you what is true in my heart. Listen, listen to the words you speak and think and just Understand the truth about your word. Is it good fruit or bad fruit? And then treasure, treasure up God's word. It's that reservoir from which you can speak in ways that please God. Next week, we're going to do a, a kind of an overview of what the book of James says about our words. So I'd encourage you, if you're, you're able, read the book of James this week. It's five chapters. We'll talk about that next Sunday. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how insightful it is. And God, we, uh, we're sobered by what your word says about our words. We pray, God, that we would, would be teachable in this respect, that we would come to you, invite you, gladly let you show us what is true of our words and therefore our hearts. Now, God, give us an ear to listen to what we think and what we speak and uh, our motives what we say and how we say it. And God, may we treasure up your word. We pray that you would give us this delight in your word, that it might become just our food, and that our food would be to do your will and speak your will, love what you love. And so God, we could never pull this off in our own strength, and so empower us for this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you're able, would you stand with me?